Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, this is the last show of 2023 of Cats and Cosby. We got to make it a good one. And the stock market is at an all-time high. I told you, Bidenomics works, guys. <laughs> Stock market is at an all-time high. By the way, is that why you have such a low start, approval on that? Oil is starting to drop again. It's down to 71 or $72 a barrel. So, again, Bidenomics works. And um, uh, and interest rates, the 15-year... Um, treasury. Uh, not treasury. The 15-year mortgage, oh, the mortgage. Is, is less than 6%. Wow, could it be an election year is coming up, John? Could that you be think part so? of it? Wow, you know what's also uh, another record uh, is that uh, a record number of migrants crossed our border this month. Two hundred and seventy-six thousand. No, John. no, this, but listen, listen this month. I, I heard it from reliable people in the Democratic Party. There is nothing. Nobody's crossing the border. Yeah. Oh, you did. Uh, you mean, uh, the border is secure, right? Everything's secure. fine. And that meeting Governor, in Mexico. No, Rita, be, to be specific, uh, a number of them were very interested in a lot of sales that went on during the holidays. Oh, discounts. And they came over to shop. Yeah. And then they're going to go back. And they were going to go back. They were going to spend their money. Back. That's correct. I should yes. have known that because, you know, especially the guy who was Iranian terrorized, the one who yeah. just got deported. The question. That one, right? The right. question I want to know right? yeah. is. <laughs> Some of the American people that are so-called philanthropists that are funding and the money is ending up with terrorists, why, you know, the, the FBI is smart enough. The CIA is smart enough. Why can't we get these guys on associating and and uh, funding terrorists? Yeah, aiding and abetting. And, and John, now, we, we have some great, great ones. Great, we have a great... Attorney, a great judge with us today for the last show of the year. We sure do. We have a Judge Andrew Napolitano. And, and Judge, you know, what I think about when John is talking about that is that, look, DOJ and FBI, they were going after parents for being domestic terrorists. They somehow figured it that avenue, but yet they can't track down terror funding. Well, John and uh, Rita and Governor, it's a pleasure to be on the show. I, I love working with you guys, and I'm honored to be on the final show uh, of uh, of this year. So we have a couple of issues here, and, and the, the first obstacle to prosecution, the governor knows this, uh, is the freedom of speech. If uh, George Soros and company are giving money to these organizations that are uh, protesting the policies of the government of Israel, and the money is being used to express an opinion that Hamas is great, however horrific that statement is, it is protected speech, and those who fund that speech are absolutely protected. Now, if the money is used for other reasons, or other, excuse me, other purposes than the freedom of speech, the freedom of speech does not mask, it does not prevent the feds from uh, following the money, to, to use a famous phrase, and see where it ends up. Uh, if it is reasonable to believe that money given to some student group at Columbia University uh, to pay the expenses of a protest 
is going to end up in the hands of Hamas, that, of course, would be uh, a felony. And it would be the duty of the FBI to trace that cash. Governor, so I don't. And, and that's really the real problem, Your Honor. You hit the nail right on the head, is that the first act, the uh, expenditure, is freedom of speech. Where the money goes after that is so hard to trace because Correct. that's often the way the uh, middleman, if you, you could call it that, to getting money to some very reckless and dangerous causes. If, if, if I finished, if I went to West Point and did my West Point career when I was 17 years old and I had the choice of, of doing it and I ended up at the CIA, ended up in the FBI or one of the intelligence agencies, all I have to do is if I had a suspicion is bug that person that's talking to the other person and they say, well, you know, we wanted the money to go to this terror, this organization called Hamas. I'm just making things up now. Understood. Understood. Well, you'd have to get a search warrant, of course, to justify the uh, surveillance. Or <clears throat> today, the FBI doesn't bother with search warrants. They surveil everything. I'm sure that the texting that you and I did earlier today, John, to uh, arrange for me to be on the show uh, was available to the FBI. That's, I'm sure uh, they flagged that because uh, with you two guys, I'm sure they flagged that. <laughs> <laughs> But John, uh, John is correct. I mean, you would need that kind uh, of a smoking gun. Now, look, this uh, story uh, emanated in the Post, and we all have friends in the Post, and we all love the Post, and we all read the Post every morning, but don't usually cite it as a source for a criminal prosecution. And, and quite frankly, the first I had heard of this is when John asked me to look at it uh, earlier today. But the governor is right. The First Amendment uh, really keeps the feds at bay because here's the law. If uh, if there is any, any lawful uh, defense to the then the speech is lawful, even if it's harmful, even if it's hateful, even if it's hurtful. If there's any legal defense to that speech, the harm the hurt and the hate are protected. Let me ask you, uh, Judge Napolitano, on protests. I have two things. On the protesters, say they're supporting some of these pro-Hamas protesters, and say a protester punches a police officer or destroys property um, and crosses the line, not just speaking something. Um, does that change that if they're supporting some of these groups that knowingly are saying, hey, we're going to get out of hand? Um and then there's another thing, too. Uh, I was just talking about this earlier, that there is this, uh, like, it's a cleric. It's a Muslim cleric who's in New Jersey. There was one in Michigan, too, who was spewing, you know, calling for jihad against Israel. That's not, you know, I mean, is there any responsibility to someone helping these groups? <clears throat> Probably not. I mean, all that speech is protected, as hateful as it is. As what about punching cops, destroying it? property, Judge Napolitano? Well, well. Well, combining speech with action that is destructive does not protect the speech. So exactly. if I say, um, uh, let's support Hamas, but let's also these the Jewish students, the speech is not protected, and obviously the attack is not protected. That's the job of federal uh, prosecutors to separate the two. And Your Governor Honor, Patterson? Uh, who was the judge that said when the— um, Defendant came into court and uh, he was accused of punching somebody and he said, but it, it's freedom. I have this freedom. 
and he said, where his jaw begins, your freedom ends. Was it learned hand? I, it, it might very well have been, uh, Governor, but that is a true and accurate statement of the law. His freedom to use his hands ends where your and my and Rita and John's uh, jaw begins. I'm going to have to leave you because of it. Oops, we lost you. I, I think I, that, he was was a, saying, that was an he abrupt was, He was going to have to leave. It sounded like he was going in the be, tunnel. Because yeah. uh, some of the feds just grabbed him. and uh, Yeah, they were was, looking at your text messages from was, earlier setting him up. It was so up. nice working with Judge Napolitano. <laughs> uh, Judge Napolitano is a wonderful guy. He he is. May he rest in <laughs> peace. He, he tells it the way it is. <laughs> Judge but, Napolitano, you know, Anderson, we got him back. Oh, wait, now he hung up again. Oh. They said he's coming back on. We can't have that. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. You know, um, one of the things, too, guys, um, that I think is important, too, as we're talking about sort of the rule of law, I, I, I can't wait to get your take on this, uh, both of you, on the Maine ruling, the Secretary of State from Maine, who unilaterally decided to kick Trump off the ballot. Uh, what do you think of that, you guys? Uh, I think it was another stupid act to do with the election only 11 months away. And we talked about it this morning uh, uh, on the morning show. And uh, the fact is that Newsom ended up looking very, very well for for making a statement as a grown-up that the election is only 10 months away, 11 months away, 10 months probably now. Leave it alone. Let the, let the, let the uh, people of the United States decide uh, who's right and who's wrong. Yeah, Gov. Patterson, your thoughts. So what... The Secretary of State said when she spoke today was she went back to this issue involving um, the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, I believe was passed in 1868. There is a Section 3 that says that uh, any officer of the United States who is found to be, uh, you know, consorting or in, in some way trying to prevent the government process from going on, that that uh, would be grounds to uh, uh, not allow the person to be on the, the, the ballot. I'm sure they never considered at that time that the object of the uh, of, of this particular case is a former president of the United States. And that's her opinion. He was right. never charged with insurrection, Governor Patterson. He's not even Jack Smith, who's been high on his tail, uh, didn't charge him with insurrection. He hasn't been convicted of insurrection either. And to me, you know what, I just, it feels very unseemly to have somebody who is, she was an elector, by the way, for Biden. She's sitting there hugging Biden. She clearly is partisan. And I don't like the, I wouldn't like the idea if it was on the other foot, too, if it was somebody who was a GOP secretary of state who said, I don't like Biden. Now, what I said, what I said just a minute ago involves Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. But there is a Section 5, which is very interesting. It says that Congress... Uh, can weigh in on this procedure. And the reason I think that the uh, uh, Secretary of State was able to actually issue the decision, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying the reason was because they don't say only Congress. They say just Congress can do it. And one of those, you know, ways that they think about constitutions back in 1783 is if we don't say you can't do it, it means you can well, uh, that's a loose interpretation, but I appreciate your interpretation you know, of the interpretation. The one I want to talk to, the, to uh, Judge Napolitano about is traditionally uh, our intelligence agencies had uh, – what, what was the name of that? See, I, I, I do my job. I forget everything. 
<laughs> you have too there many a, jobs. There was, a, there was a central intelligence building in Canada that every phone call that ever happened in the United States, every everything, every internet was used to go through that Canadian building. Oh, it does? interesting. Uh, yes. Interesting. So, wow. John, my arguments with Citibank about the automated service would be up there? Yes. Because I yes. really like to take that evidence down to yes, their yeah, yeah. main office. We'll see if we can and call them. I forget them. the name of it. <laughs> see, I did my job. I forgot the name oh, of it. Oh, my. We assigned him that that job, too, Governor Patterson, you know? I mean. <laughs> well, let's go to New Hampshire find out what the heck is going on. We always learn so much from John. And now let's go to New Hampshire. Uh, we have Chris Ager, who is the chairman of the New Hampshire Republican Party and New Hampshire. I love New Hampshire. I've been there many times for the primary. Uh, they have the first in the nation primary. It is going to be January 23rd. And Mr. Chairman, tell us what people can expect because, boy, uh, less than a month away. Well, uh, hey, thank you for having me on. I'm, uh, I would uh, just let people know to expect the unexpected. Uh, you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, the polling and the general feel over the past you know, six, eight months has been that President Trump is in pretty good shape. But um, Nikki Haley has been making a surge. Governor DeSantis is here uh, campaigning as well. Um, Governor Christie, Vivek Ramaswamy, they've all been on the ground here. So um, we'll see what happens. The only poll that matters is on January 23rd, and it starts at midnight at uh, Dixville Notch and Hart's location. And so um, we're looking forward to it. In between the Iowa caucus uh, on the 15th and the, and the 23rd, we'll have, we think all the candidates will be here for that entire week. And uh, we do have a debate with ABC and our local TV station, WMUR, on the 18th. That gives a few days for the debate for, for kind of things to settle in and people to, uh, to be able to articulate, you know, what went wrong, what went right. And uh, we're looking forward to doing that as well at St. Anselm. Traditional uh, Describe also, and, uh, like, like describe what happens to, like, how the, how the primary works. We had someone from the Iowa caucus on not that long ago, which is very different than the primary process. Yeah, so our primary is, is a traditional election where registered Republicans and undeclared voters can take a Republican ballot and vote. We have 24 candidates on the ballot. Our threshold is, is relatively low to get on the ballot. You have to qualify, you know, by age, um, at citizenship, you know, per the Constitution, and it's only a $1,000 filing fee. And so it's, it's, it's a very low bar purposely because we want the voters to, to uh, call the field, not um, – the donors, big media, Washington, D.C., we, we want the voters to get a chance to hear everybody who has a story to tell. We let everybody come in, and if somebody catches fire, then, uh, you know, this is the place they can do that. But it's voters. We do not have any uh, early voting. We have same-day voting, absentee ballots only if you're going to be unable to go to the polls on Election Day. And we have paper ballots. You fill in the oval, uh, and there's always a ch place for a write-in, uh, which President uh, Biden is going to take advantage of because he's – I think he's too afraid to be on the ballot here, frankly. He, the last few times he was on the ballot here, uh, he didn't do so well. Um, and eight years ago uh, – I'm sorry, four years ago, he came in fifth place. So instead of articulating his case to the people, he's leaving it up to 
to his local Democrats to, to do a write-in campaign, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, we'll have the election results that night. Even if uh, President Biden gets a, a number of uh, write-ins, all of the moderators at the polling locations in the towns are prepared uh, to hand count uh, those write-in ballots uh, to get the, the accurate count. And generally, nobody goes home until we finish the count. Wow. And everybody, we're talking to the chairman of the New Hampshire Republican Party, Chris Ager. Chris, how often is like uh, New Hampshire, what's their sort of track record for you guys determining who really makes it uh, to the nomination? Because New Hampshire is, is such a huge, important state. Uh, and a lot of there's even rumors yeah. some people might drop out if they don't do well in New Hampshire. Well, the track record is very good. Uh, just for some historical context, uh, we've had the first primary uh, for over 100 years. And uh, 2016 was the 100th uh, year uh, anniversary of the first primary here. And we've had the president's name on the ballot since uh, the 1950s. And so we, we have a long record of doing this. Track record's pretty good. Our old governor, Sununu, not the current one, but his father, um, uh, John Sununu, he, he used to say, Iowa picks, Iowa picks corn, New Hampshire picks presidents. Wow. And part of, you <laughs> I know, remember uh, John Sununu. He's a good natured. <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. Uh, yes, he was. Is he still guy. alive? I mean, I haven't checked. Oh, yeah, he is. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's good. Still, good. He's, good for him. He's, he's still active and he comes to events on occasion and uh, he weighs in when he thinks he needs to. Uh, so a great guy, and of course his son is governor. But uh, it's it's you know we have a a real primary where you get a sense of the voters, whereas Iowa, you get a sense of the voters, but it's mostly organization. And you know here it's traditional voting, balloting all day, and we we have a pretty good track record. The our winner always doesn't become the nominee, but. Um, Bill Clinton, for example, he was kind of almost written off until he came in second place here, and he deemed himself a comeback kid. Um, George W. did really well here. President Trump won here. And, you know, in Iowa, you go back, and Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum, um, you know, Ted Cruz won in Iowa, whereas in New Hampshire, um, we we were how in much, a much better position. How much do you think the, dif- the differential is right now between Trump's lead and uh, Nikki Haley trying to make a comeback or come, yeah. Um, I I was just at a rally this morning uh, that Nikki Haley had in Concord, and I would say that Nikki Haley absolutely has the potential uh, to win the New Hampshire primary. And, wow! Uh, it's, wow! It's uh, uh, it's absolutely possible. Um, <laughs> she's been here and all very frequently, and every time she comes, she does a town hall. And she takes questions from the audience, unscripted, anybody. And, and some people say, if you're playing it safe, you don't want to do that. And President Trump, some people accuse him, not accused, but they are, they articulate that he's doing something akin to a prevent defense. And when in sports, you know, when you do prevent, say again? President Trump has been to New Hampshire, though, right? Oh, yeah, he has. He's been about five or six times this year. So he's not ignoring us yeah. at all. He's been here. Uh, but Nikki Haley, maybe, you know, eight, ten times that amount. Wow. And, by, uh, by the way, I'm looking at one of the. And there is no Democratic primary, right? Uh, there is. There is. There, there is. 21 people on the Democrat ballot, but on, the only national figure of prominence, uh, really, Marianne Williamson and uh, Dean Phillips from Minnesota. 
um, and President Biden's doing a write-in. But um, I did predict that our perennial candidate, Vermin Supreme, who wears a boot on his head and offers people a pony. <laughs> is that like, who's the one that, who's the, the rent is too high? That's like the rent is too rent, high guy rent here. Is too damn high. <laughs> yeah. Every yeah. place has one. <laughs> sure, Chris. He could outpoll President Biden. So oh. uh, we'll, we'll see. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank uh, you. Uh, this uh, last broadcast that we're having for 2023. Great. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, it's all up to the voters. Yeah. Happy New Year. And we hope we we have uh, some common sense candidates and and common sense winners that could take our our country into a common sense direction. John, that was breaking news. If he thinks that it's Nikki Haley, yes, close between those two. I, I was shocked to hear that. Me, too. By the way, I was looking at the latest poll, too. This is the average of polls that just came out a couple hours ago. Trump, 44. Nikki Haley, almost 26 uh, percent. But that, she is increasing. It's still a bit of distance, but mm. she's closing in. That was that was very interesting where he said she has a chance. Wow. Wow. Are we taking a break? Yeah, we are. And coming up, uh, why is an organization suing the CIA over the Wuhan lab? Find out when we come back. <sighs> Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back. Well, lots of people still trying to get answers about the origins of COVID. Uh, what a coincidence. There was a, a lab uh, down the street, the Wuhan lab. Uh, doing pathogen research and joining us now with some real bombshells, including a lawsuit that they have against the CIA is Mike Howell. He's the director of the Heritage Oversight Project. Mike, this is really interesting. Tell us why you guys are suing the CIA and what you may have uncovered. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So this stems from something that was announced in September, which the mainstream media absolutely glazed over. And what happened was a whistleblower went to the House of Representatives, a credible CIA officer, and he told them that when the CIA you know, put together their COVID origins discovery team, is what it was called, six out of the seven members thought it was a lab leak that caused you know, the spread. One of the seven said, ah, I think it's animal to animal, you know, this wet market type stuff. And then the CIA famously came out with their consensus opinion that said they didn't know one way or the other. Their experts didn't have any consensus. And so they overruled their own expert class at a time when all of us were being told to trust the experts. And then to make matters even worse, the whistleblower alleged that the, the six were paid off to keep maintain their silence about uh, what their findings had suggested. And so this all was occurring, you know, in the lead up to the 2020 election, when saying that the lab leak uh, was the, the cause of COVID was akin to a hate crime in this country. You were labeled a, a conspiracy theorist as their entire intelligence apparatus 
and mainstream media wanted to give China a pass because it made Trump look worse. And uh, that's what our intelligence committee did. And so we are suing the, F- or the CIA over this, uh, trying to get documents and, and records out to the American public. So, you know, to be honest, they, they, they trust their intelligence community a little bit less because they certainly don't deserve any trust right now. Tell us again who this whistleblower. It's a CIA. I, I'm not asking for the name, obviously, if it, unless the name was public. But can you tell us a little bit like how credible this whistleblower is? And the reason I bring it up, I think about in, um, you know, the Comer and Jason Smith, those guys and Jim Jordan who are doing the investigations. It was those two IRS whistleblowers in their case that really opened up everything um, on the Biden family investigation because those guys were seasoned veterans. Uh, they seemed very credible and clearly knew their stuff. Um, what, what can you tell us about the credibility of this one? So the House of Representatives uh, being the Oversight Committee and the Intelligence Committee, and there's something called the COVID Select Committee in play as well, uh, released only that this was somebody who had a long career in the CIA. Now, keep in mind that lying to Congress is a felony. And so there, the fact that it was a testimony to Congress confers some you know, additional amount of credibility on that. If you lie to Congress, you, you go to jail if you're under oath. Um, and, and so we are suing over the records that are basically all uh, around this incident. And so the CIA is going to be forced into federal court to either confirm or, or deny the existence of these records and to turn them over. They don't have a legal argument to withhold them at this point. And so I expect the record set that, that we will be able to turn up will evidence the whistleblower's allegations. How much were they? You said they were paid. I mean, do we know what, how much they were paid or what they were paid, at least these allegations? The amount has not yet been disclosed, but that is something in our lawsuit where we're asking for. We want to know the exact amounts, how the transfers occurred. But another thing to keep in mind, while a financial payoff is as obscene as you could possibly get to change someone's opinion on something like this, there's also something to be said about the forces of you know the bureaucratic club within the agency to overwhelm people who want a future career in the agency. If you are to go rogue and against the political wishes of your superior, you're not going to be in the agency that long. So it's financial uh, you know, awards, plus all those other, we'll call it peer pressure to uh, be able to continue in the agency that sound like they were brought to bear on these officers who said it was a lab leak. Wow. And, you know, Mike, um, also, what about Dr. Fauci? What's sort of his sort of role with all this? Because remember, he flipped and flopped like over, oh, no, it's not a lab leak. And then there were messages uh, that came out that said he was talking privately to people about it. Um, and then also he visited. Uh, there were reports that he visited the CIA headquarters a whole bunch of times, which I thought was kind of interesting and bizarre for somebody in his position. I'm really glad you brought that up. So he did visit the CIA, and they kept it off the books of their main visitor logs. They clearly wanted to hide Dr. Fauci coming over in that time period. To me, as an investigator, the uh, implication is, is rather obvious, is that the public health officials, quote-unquote, if you want to call Fauci that, was brought over there to you know, politically apply some pressure onto the supposed you know, neutral findings of our intelligence agency. The fact that you know, Dr. Fauci in his role, the NIH was even over at the Central Intelligence Agency is absurd on its face. But I think we're going to find out that Dr. Fauci and others who had all the reasons in the world to say it wasn't a lab leak because they had been involved in some of the studies that were happening in China, uh, basically strong armed the intelligence community of the United States to agree with them, to give them some sort of political cover. And then obviously the people forget how 
big this was going into the 2020 election. Yeah. I mean, you had Donald Trump up massively in the polls right before COVID hit. It looked like re-election was an absolute guaranteed. And so by removing the blame from China, the, the media is able to shift the blame squarely on Trump. If there's no lab leak, you can say, oh, it wasn't, you know, some freak occurrence. It was Trump mishandling the recovery type arguments. And that's what they were trying to do. Everything they possibly can to twist the public health and intelligence apparatus to interfere in the elections, thereby giving our chief you know, adversary, the communist Chinese, uh, a get out of jail free card. They still haven't been held to account in any meaningful way for the dirty, dirty virus they released on the world. But I, do you ever think you'll ever get the, the truth? I absolutely do. I mean, I wouldn't be suing if I didn't. I, we've been yeah. able to get more documents out of the FBI and the Department of Justice as it relates to the Hunter Biden investigations than, frankly, Congress has. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy to hear that. but uh, you Yeah, because the world deserves the truth. I mean, the it, world deserves It's amazing the truth. that we still don't know. Yeah, well... You, the, the law on this is pretty clear. I mean, freedom of information laws, uh, I know people are used to hearing about them, but unless you sue on it with a real serious team, both of lawyers and investigators, you can't take the full you know, benefit of the statute. Because if you're just a regular Joe without a, you know, basically a law firm to go and enforce these things in federal court, they're just going to ignore you. Well, we, we built that at the Heritage Foundation Oversight Project, and, you know, we're in court on 35 different cases wow. now, um, maybe even 50 by uh, the time the New Year hits. Oh, it's, the Heritage Organization is a great organization. They do great work, and, and I'm glad you guys are doing it. Yeah, keep us posted. Wow, wow, wow. Mike, thank you very much. Hey, thank you all for having me. Thank yeah. you. Wow, very interesting. Very interesting. Well, let's find out. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Steve Moore and find out where the heck is our country? How is the economy going? Is Bidenomics working? You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, where, where the heck is the economy? It's today was the last day of the uh, our, our financial markets, the stock market uh, in 2023. Uh, with us is one of the country's great economists and and great economists on WABC, uh, Steve Moore. Steve, uh, give us some good news. Bidenomics working. <laughs> well, it was a good year for the stock market, no question about it. You know, we. 2022 was a terrible year for the stock market with stocks down, you know, 15 to 20 percent. But they recovered a lot of those losses in 2023. What was interesting, John, is that over the half of the gains in the in the stock market in uh, in this past year were due to seven companies, the Magnificent Seven, including Apple, Microsoft, uh, Tesla, NVIDIA uh, and, uh, and and Facebook. And so those technology companies have really been carrying the market. Uh, also, the oil. So if you take those seven out, what happens? Uh, it looks. It doesn't look so good. You know, it looks. It looks okay, but not great. And so these are you know important companies. And thank God, there are, all those companies that I mentioned are American companies. I'm tired of, of uh, the politicians trying to say, oh, they're too big, they're too profitable. Come on, that pro- that profit goes right into the. Uh, the accounts of people with 401k plans and retirement accounts. So uh, they are very vital to 
uh, to not just our economy, but also we want to make sure that China does not take over, you know, the, the our technology uh, commanding heights. So we want these companies to continue to flourish. Well, now, uh, interest rates. Well, yeah. First of all, well, our favorite subject, oil. Uh, all <laughs> of a sudden, uh, the Red Sea problem that took it from $68 a couple weeks ago up to $76. We're back to seventy-one, seventy-two. Yeah, Biden economics uh, works. Yeah, so here's the thing. I mean, if we had just stuck with the um, Trump uh, drill, baby drill strategy over the last three years, the U.S. economy would have added almost $200 billion um, in increased output. And think about all the jobs that would be created by that. So, yes, we're producing more oil today, but we should be producing a lot more. There's, you know, the Permian Basin is so filled. It's basically the largest oil field in the world. And we have so much oil and gas uh, that we should be using it. And our our coal as well. I, I think this fantasy, I mean, one of the things that worries me, John, is there's this fantasy out there by these radical environmentalists. Uh, have you heard of net zero, John? Uh, I've heard. Uh, yes, I have. Yeah. yeah, net zero, for those who are not familiar with this, is this l- lunatic idea that we're going to completely eliminate our oil, gas, and coal production, which would completely cripple our economy, John. You know that. I mean, you're in that energy business. Maybe we can use more wind and solar power and maybe geothermal, and I'd like to see more nuclear. But come on, John, oil, gas, and coal have to be part of the equation. Yes, it's not. It's certainly we're not going to replace oil and gas in the next, in the next five to ten years. Yeah, and, totally. and the electric vehicle situation is uh, it's getting obvious that uh, a lot of people don't want them. They don't want them. Yeah, they're stuck on the. They are on those uh, uh, in those showrooms and on the uh, lots at the uh, at the car dealerships, and they can't sell them. I mean, you know, today only eight percent of new cars that are being uh, bought are electric vehicles. And Biden wants to go to 100%. Come on. Why can't American consumers decide for themselves what kind of car they want to Let buy? Let the consumer decide. I agree with you. Yes. Well, Steve yes, Moore, you're, you're going to be on Saturday afternoon, right after the Larry Kudlow show between yep. 1 and 2. And I look yeah, forward to listening to you. Show, John. We're going to be talking about energy, uh, just you know, more on what you and I have been talking about. We're also going to be talking about our contest that we had, that you participated in. Who was the most over and underrated politician of the last uh, 100 years. And, uh, you know, do you know who was the rated the most underrated, John? Tell us. Keep cool with Cal, Calvin Coolidge. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. If you stop the next 100 people that walk by on on 3rd Avenue, how many people will know that? One. Yeah, I know a lot of people do, but Maybe. Amity Schlaes wrote a very famous book about Calvin Coolidge. Wait, wait, don't tell all the secrets. I'm going to be, let the people listen okay, to your I show. One o'clock, WABCradio.com, worldwide, 173 countries. <laughs> Stephen Moore, more money. Thank you, Steve. Happy New Year, guys. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year, Steve. Now, so John, now I know why in the song that started the TV show All in the uh, Family, uh, right at the end, they said, Mr. We could use a man like Calvin Coolidge again. Okay, that was Gene Stapleton <laughs> yes, who said that. Sing, I love singing that. that yeah. yeah, that was good. Now, now uh, on my Sunday show, uh, one of the guys I very, have a lot of respect for, Senator Joe Lieberman, 
Uh, we taped the show uh, a show for Sunday today. And uh, I understand we have a two-minute piece. Yeah, and in fact, uh, you asked him about the border. I love Senator Lieberman. Yes, I said to him, why can't the Democrats and Republicans sit at the same table and protect our country? Well, well here's a little tease of that great interview. Uh, the Democratic, uh, uh, the they just voted to give Ukraine money uh, for yeah. uh, for for the war, and they also voted to give Israel money, but a right. small amount of money in comparison to what the real ask is. And what the GOP senators are saying to these Democratic senators: Why don't you protect? Uh, why don't you protect our borders, the United States borders? before we worry about protecting the Ukrainian borders. And we'll give you all the money you want for Israel, and we'll give you all the money you want from the Ukraine. Why can't they come to a solution? There's no good reason, John. You're talking common sense now. But um, really, much as I support aid to Ukraine and Israel, I think right up there, equally important, to America, maybe even a little more important because it's America, it's our own crisis here at home, is the uh, uh, regaining uh, control of our borders. You can't have open borders. You've got to have rules. You can't just come in here. And now people all around the world, they're coming from everywhere. They're coming from China and Asia and Africa. And, and uh, it's not just Mexico and, and Central Latin America now. We've got to stop it, and it's only going to be stopped with a bipartisan agreement by members of Congress. And frankly, uh, I would say to the Democrats, who, who and, and some of them anyway, are resisting this, that it, it's not only the right thing to do for the country to reestablish the rule of law at our borders, but frankly, it's the right thing for the Democratic Party to do politically, because if this problem is not solved, I will tell you that it will be as important uh, when people go to vote in November next year as uh, inflation and the economy. Wow. Uh, What a great interview. And, John, also, uh, what common sense uh, coming from former Democratic Senator Joe Lieberman um, saying, uh, you know, we got to close the border. We got to protect our borders. It was it was nice to hear, John. And I can't wait to hear the whole interview on the Cats Roundtable on Sunday. That's going to be awesome. Um, by the way, in, you, in the you can't make it up category, um, Biden is now uh, declared January uh, Human Trafficking Prevention Month, which is obviously very important, a huge issue, a very serious issue. Uh, but maybe you should close the border. That might be a good start. You know, I, he needs to be listening to people like uh, Senator Joe Lieberman a little more. Um, well, joining us now to talk about what's going on in the skies, and there's a lot going on, is uh, Steve Cates, Dr. Sky, um, one of our favorites out there. And Dr. Sky, there's some interesting stuff happening with this, um, the Pentagon, mysteriously, this yes. unmanned space plane blasting off on another super secret mission. Absolutely, Rita. It's good to be on the last Cats and Cosby show of the year, and we say Happy New Year to you and all the listeners But it's so fascinating. Last night, without a hitch, at 8.07 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, another Falcon Heavy rocket, over 5 million pounds of thrust rate, pushed this X-37B little space plane up to maybe even a higher orbit. Normal orbits are about 1,200 miles above the Earth. But what we're finding out now, take a look at this, 
they may be pushing this little spacecraft out to geosynchronous orbit, which is like 22,000 miles above the Earth. We still don't know exactly what these missions are all about. Some say they're doing seed experiments to grow plants in space. I say no. There's probably a lot more. But we got to congratulate SpaceX, Rita, because not only did they have this a great launch, they had a second launch only three hours apart, which hasn't been done since 1960 in the space program. They've had 96 launches this year. But it's a fascinating story, the mystery of the X-37B, don't you think? Now, one of, one of my friends that works uh, uh, for Space Force uh, yes. and uh, said uh, the first time this aircraft went up in 2010, it made the Chinese very nervous. Did yes, it come? Did it right. come near a spy balloon? Or I no? have no clue. <laughs> I have no clue. It should have. <laughs> now that's interesting, John. The Chinese have developed. We've talked about this before on your Sunday show. The Shenlong is what they call it. Translating it means the divine dragon. It's pretty much a replicant copy, as they do many of the things, whether it's through espionage or just simple mathematics. We find out that this is an amazing little space plane itself. But the difference between X-37B and this Shenlong is that the Shenlong has been reported to have been deploying small objects in space. What are those? We don't know. People around the world are picking up and listening to the signals, but yet we don't know. So, John, you're right. This is another space plane. But this space plane, the X-37B, this is what I heard, and I don't know if I believe it, that it may even go on to a lunar mission. I find that a little hard to believe. I think we need to concern ourselves with What's its real purpose in space? Obviously classified. It's known as USS-52, United States Space Force Mission 52. Quite fascinating stuff, don't you think? Well, we think. Thank you, uh, uh, Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and he'll be on our Sunday show uh, uh, this week. And uh, uh, thank you for uh, all your wisdom. And and, uh, people love to hear you because they want to know what the heck is going on up there. Well, thank you, John. We open people's minds all the time, and thank you and the staff and all your guests. We simply say Happy New Year. Looking to looking for that is a great, prosperous 2024. Happy New Year, Dr. Sky. Love having you on. Thanks so much. And everybody, coming up, uh, we have Dr. Mark Siegel. We're going to talk about some resolutions, um, and we might even hear Governor Patterson's resolutions, It's too. always good to talk to Mark Siegel. He's a fun guy. He's so. a great guy. And so is Dr. Is, uh, Governor Patterson. He's yeah. very fun, too. So yeah, awesome. he is. He's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk about him in front let, of him. Let's, <laughs> let, let's take a break first, and then we'll go to Dr. Mark Siegel. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Start spreading the news. And we all love New York, New York. New York. Uh, you can't go wrong. This is a popular song, of course, at New Year's, too. We yeah. love New York. Yeah, we all, I mean, how many times we have just, we sung this at New Governor, Year's? Governor, we all have to work to make sure New York makes a comeback. We certainly do. Yeah, that's one of the resolutions. Now, is there a doctor in the house? There's a very good doctor, and his name is Dr. Mark Siegel. And, Dr. Siegel, we always love having you here on the show. And uh, what, what, are your, what are your resolutions, by the way? 
Well, I can't go, can't do better than starting with old blue eyes there, right? Yep. I mean, uh, let's see. Uh, my resolution is this, and John, you are going to love this. I actually am over the last few days going over the medical uh, accomplishments in great biotechnology of 2023 going into 24, top of the list being artificial intelligence, uh, pig transplant organs here at NYU, uh, wearables, digital interfaces, uh, CRISPR, you know, c- cutting into uh, genes that are that are giving treatments for sickle cell anemia. But you know what my resolution is for 2024? I Let's hear know. it. Going back in time, getting the government out of the picture, having the doctor-patient relationship renewed, which begins, by the way, in medical school by teaching prospective doctors to listen to their patients, not to prognosticate, not to sit on a podium, not to talk down to anyone, to listen to your patient. That's my resolution. Now, Dr. Um, Mark Siegel, how many people, everybody, and, and I'll confess, I, one of my resolutions is you know, try to eat a little more vegetables, a little more healthy, drink more water. How many people have something health-related, and how many people do you think actually stick to their resolution more than, like, one or two days? <laughs> well, you just asked and answered, because, Rita, the way to stick to your resolution is to make it something that's already at your fingertips. You know, in other words, if you exercise three or four days a week, the way a lot of my patients do, Increase it to five days a week or six days a week. You know, if I tell you to stop eating carbs, maybe you stop eating bread. I mean, you're not going to get rid of it all at once, right? So my resolution for 2024, have more dinners with John Casamitidis. I've been hinting at that for a while. But, but Would there be the carbs di- at the dinner or not? Well, of course there's going to be <laughs> carbs at the dinner, but, but I might not have the bread. Very true. Hey, Gut Patterson, no, what about no you? Bread. No more no, bread. No more bread. And we got to limit pasta. Yeah, and I said water, drink more water, too. Try to be a little... I, I've well, been, that's very healthy. Uh, by the way, water is unbelievably healthy because most of us are drinking a lot of coffee. And by the way, coffee is healthy, but maybe you should have one or two cups a day, not five. Alcohol. You know, an interesting thing I discovered about alcohol lately, I hope I get agreement across the board here. I'm, ho- I'm hoping the governor agrees with this. If you don't drink more than one glass of wine a day maximum, the wine tastes better. You actually feel it better. You understand that you get the intricacies of the flavor if you have less. I'll Thoughts? try it and let you know. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have to scale back, Gov. Yeah, I may have to scale back. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to scale back. Gov, what are your uh, resolutions, Gov? Well, <clears throat> when I was in office, I just it just naturally came this way that I would ignore – uh, checkups with the dentist, uh, going to see the doctor regularly and that kind of thing. And um, I, I never really had any problems when I came out. But I think in the last few months I realized that uh, people who exercise a lot, people who walk a lot, you don't have to kill yourself in the gym to get good exercise. And I think I'm going to work on that this year. By the way, I want to comment on that because one of my heroes in that direction and I'm not alone, is George W. Bush. I just rode mountain bikes with him down on his ranch a month ago, uh, still at the head of the pack. And, I mean, he's in his late 70s. And I believe his lifetime of this degree of exercise has helped keep him mentally sharp. His sense of humor is still there. I mean, he was he was so philosophical in the way he talked. And I think exercise has had a lot to do with it. When he, sh- when he shot his knees, he was doing mountain biking uh, and, and, you know, and has continued. You know, Doctor, right before... I was sworn in as 
governor about 16 years ago. He was the last person I spoke to before I took the oath. Uh, he called from the White House. And when I picked up the phone, I thought it was a joke because he said, how you doing up there? <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great conversation. And he gave me some advice that really helped me. He said, you know, you probably think you have to do something greater than you've done already in your life. He said, but think about the fact that what you've done in your life got you there. Just keep doing it. I never forgot that. That's great advice. Well, wow. One of my faults is I'm watching my diet. I'm eating the right foods. I'm not drinking any alcohol. Um, is that a fault? Uh, but I'm not, do- <laughs> I'm not, I'm not doing uh, exercise. And uh, I was told by uh, a friendly doctor, could have been. Uh, this one? This one. Could have been this might one. Have been uh, it might, might have, have been Michelos. Might have been Michelos. <laughs> that if you do 4,000 <clears throat> steps a day. Uh, that it's the equivalent of enough exercise. I think I did that when the power went out. Remember that? By the I, way, got, by you the, and I both did the, that. Remember when? We, by the way, John yes. C is up to something really important here. I'm so glad you pushed me to this direction because you know when you go to Europe, all you do is walk everywhere, right? You yes. might walk. You walk everywhere. A day. Yes. And you walk into a little place and you have pasta that doesn't have these freaking preservatives in it. And you don't gain weight. You're thinking, I'm eating cheese and pasta. I'm not gaining weight. It's the preservatives that are killing us in this country and the fact that we chemicals don't walk. Enough, chemicals in our foods. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? One of the things I, I want to close with, too, I, one of my resolutions is to call family and friends more and, and laugh. Uh, because you got there's so much going on in the world just to uh, appreciate life. And, Gov, you and go. Rita, I have one more. I am not going to watch any more football games involving a team that I won't name, but their initials are the New York Jets for the entire year of 2024. Well, but you can laugh. No, you just have laughter. Yeah, you can laugh. laugh. <laughs> I like that laughter. That is, I know, it's great. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Siegel, thank you. Have a thank great you, New uh, Year. Thank you, Dr. Siegel. I look forward to seeing you soon. And, uh, happy what, New Year. Happy, happy New, New year. year. And what do we want to stand for in the New Year? Truth, Truth justice, and the American, American way. way. God bless you.